0: Thank you for listening to this recent message from The Rescue Church. We pray that God will use this message to encourage, challenge, and inspire you on in your faith journey. If you'd like to learn more about The Rescue Church, please visit us online at therescuechurch.com. Good morning. I want to welcome all of you to the Rescue Church. My name is Tyler. If you're wondering who the heck I am, I am the Garrettson Campus Pastor, and I have the honor of being with you today. Now, I want to talk about something that I believe affects every single one of our lives. My guess is at some point in time in your life, maybe recently, you have said this statement, I am exhausted. I am tired. I am busy. I am overworked. I am overcommitted. I have way too much going on in my life. Maybe you're to the point of just really feeling like you're you're going to burn yourself out in whatever you are doing. This is where I found myself this past fall. So let me give you a snapshot of what my life looked like this past fall, maybe what my life looks like right now. Um, I work full-time for the Rescue Church as the Garrison Campus pastor. I also do some IT stuff. In addition, I work part-time at a school in Sioux Falls, South Dakota called Southeast Tech. In addition to that, I am going to school full-time for my master's degree, plus this past fall, uh, me and my wife, Ashley, we had our first daughter, our first baby. Her name is Ava. In addition to that, in the Garrison campus, we outgrew the building we had on Main Street, so we went portable. What that means is every single Sunday, me and a few volunteers from the Garrettton campus, we show up at the school 7 a.m. We begin setting up sound equipment and projectors and nursery areas and rescue kids areas. We set everything up every single Sunday. So all these things were happening at the same time, and I noticed that I was beginning to get discouraged. I noticed I felt overwhelmed on a regular basis. I noticed that the things that once brought me joy no longer brought me joy, and I was in a place of being burnt out. I actually made the decision um, to sit down with a professional counselor because I recognized things in my own soul that were not healthy. And I don't say those things to make you feel bad for me, to make you feel sorry for me, because this is what I know. Many of you, many of the people in the sound of my voice, you have a life that is just as busy, if not busier, than mine. Uh, just recently, I was at a campground. I was hanging out with a family from the Garrettson campus, and this is a family that has kids and a bunch of sports, a bunch of activities. And I asked them, like, how many nights are you guys out a week? And they told me eight. Now, if you do the math, there's only seven nights in a week, but they're out eight nights a week. In other words, they are way too busy. And if you have little kids, if you have kids and activities, you know how that feels. It feels like you are gone eight days a week and you are exhausted. So if that's where you're at, I believe this message will speak powerfully into your heart. And maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're like, Tyler, I'm doing fine. I feel good. Here's what I know. It's only a matter of time until you find yourself saying those words that I am exhausted. It's only a matter of time until something happens in your life. Maybe your marriage begins to struggle. Maybe your family begins to fall apart. Maybe your kids kind of rebel against you. It's only a matter of time until you find yourself in a place where you feel burnt out, where you feel exhausted, where you feel overwhelmed and over committed. So my prayer for you, if you're not there yet, is that you can... Just let God speak to you through this message, and you can receive whatever he wants to say to you. And when you come to that point, you have something to fall back on. If you have a Bible, I want you to join me in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, as you turn there, let me give you um, just an idea of what Hebrews is about. Hebrews was a letter. We don't really know the author. Some think it was the Apostle Paul. Some think it was one of Paul's associates. But what we do know is the Christians that this letter is addressed to had that problem. They were in a place where they were feeling burnt out, exhausted, discouraged, weary. And when you study the whole letter, what you'll notice is that these were Christians who, because they were following Jesus, some of them have spent time in prison. Because they're following Jesus, many of them had their property taken away. They lost their homes. They lost their businesses. Because they were following Jesus, many of them even lost their jobs. They had no source of income. And so what happened when you read the letter is because of all these tragedies that were happening, these Christians began to lose their faith. They began to become discouraged. We read that they stopped meeting together for worship. That on Sundays when they were called to worship, they would stay in their homes. They would stay away from God's people, the church. And as they did that, Satan began to feed on their souls. And friends, I'm afraid that the place where many of us are at, feeling discouraged, feeling depressed, that Satan is doing the same thing to us. So as we read um, this passage, I want you to understand something. This was written a few thousand years ago but it's addressed to you, and it's addressed to me. See, we believe the Bible is living and active that even though it was written a few thousand years ago, today it is still the word of God. Today God speaks through the Bible. So what I want you to hear is you're not here by chance. You're not in Flandre or Coleman or Deeside or Gerritsen or Peoria. You're not on our I campus. You're not here by chance. God has something he wants to say to you. Even if you're not a cre- Christian, you are not here by chance. So I want you to lean in. And listen. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. I just want to read the first half of verse one so you can get a kind of a context of what the writer is talking about. He says this: "Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, OK, I, I want to stop there because what you need to understand is the writer of Hebrews, he's setting up uh, the Christian life as a form of race." or as a marathon, as something that you and I are called to run in the Christian walk. And so he's saying, therefore, in light of this great cloud of witnesses. Now, you've probably heard a pastor say this before. When you see the word therefore, where are you supposed to ask? Right. Like, what is it there for? And so this this verse connects us to chapter 11. And if you look back at chapter 11, it's what many people call the Hall of Faith. And so the writer draws our attention to people like Abraham, who Abraham was told by God to leave everything he knew to go to a country he's never heard about and to trust that God was going to make him a father of a great nation. And Abraham leaves. He goes when God calls him to go. We read about Noah, who before it ever even rained on earth, God told him there would be a flood and called him to to construct an ark. And he looked like he was insane, and yet he listened to God. We read about Moses who, by God's power, led the Israelites out of Egypt, led them through the wilderness, and led them to the promised land. We read about Joshua who actually went into the promised land and started taking things over. And so what the writer wants us to understand, in the midst of our discouragement, he says, look at this, you're running a race. You're in this marathon, and all around you are those who have gone before you. All around you are those who make up this book that we call the Bible, they are real people, ordinary people who believed in an extraordinary God, and he wants to encourage us with that truth. The, the closest picture I could think of was Relay for Life. Um, how many of you guys have ever been part of something called Relay for Life? Raise your hand. Okay? Quite a few people. If you're like, Tyler, I don't know what the heck Relay for Life is, this is what Relay for Life is. It's a, a relay, a, a night that benefits cancer. And so the goal of Relay for Life is to raise money in order to fight cancer. It's a big benefit. And so what happens in Relay for Life is you have different teams that come together, and the goal of each team is to raise money leading up to the one night called Relay for Life. And then on the night of Relay for Life, often in a community, they'll meet at like the school track, and so you have the track going around, and around the track you have booths set up by each one of the teams selling stuff and trying to get donations, also as part of Relay for Life, what they encourage people to do is you ask people, depending on how many laps I make around the track, will you donate you know, a dollar each lap or a dollar each mile? And you raise money by walking. Now the cool thing about Relay for Life, if you ever do it, is um, all around the track there's what they call luminaries. And these luminaries are little bags, they're memorials to those who have died of cancer, And the point of those bags is as you walk around this track, often it is super hot out. As you walk around this track and you become weary, you become tired, you see these bags all around the track and they stand for those who have died. That though they are dead, they still speak. And in the same way the writer of Hebrews is telling us, as we go around this track, as we go on this marathon that we call Christianity, that we call faith, when you get discouraged, remember those who have gone before you. Remember Abraham, remember Moses, remember David, remember Peter, remember Paul, remember John. Remember those who have suffered before you so that in your suffering you are not overwhelmed. The the writer wants us to understand that we are not alone. One of the ways this has worked in my own life is when I first became a Christian, one of the things I wrestled with was an addiction to pornography. Now, if you've ever been there, what happens is when you fall into that sin, you're filled with an immense amount of shame. You feel isolated. You feel lonely. And it was in those times that God really spoke this truth into my heart that I'm not running this race alone. I remember going to Psalm 51, I believe is what it is. Psalm 51 was written by David when he was caught with his adultery with Bathsheba. And in that Psalm, he pleads with God, God renew within me a right heart put within me a right spirit, a clean spirit. And it was through looking at David's life, although he is dead, he still speaks that when I would fall into my sin, rather than beating myself up, I would find encouragement by praying Psalm 51, by praying David's prayers. So friends, the question from that is this great cloud of witnesses, do you actually know them? Like, do you know the people in scripture? Do you know those who have gone before you? And so he wants us to remember this great cloud of witnesses. And in light of that fact, he says, look look at the next part of the verse. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So in light of these people around us, in light of those who have gone before us, we're called to throw off two things. The first thing is anything that hinders. Now, these are things that aren't necessarily sin. I know all of us have asked this question. People have asked me this question all the time. They'll come up to me with a, maybe a questionable activity. Maybe it's a movie. Maybe it's music. And they'll ask me, but Tyler, now, is it technically a sin? I won't ask you if you've asked that question because I know most of us have. Is it technically a sin? That, that's a bad question to ask. When it comes to our lives, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to activities, a better question to ask is, will this draw me closer to Jesus? Because there are things in your life and in my life that aren't necessarily sins, but they hinder us in our walk with Christ. And so for me personally, one of the things that hindered me that I had to throw off is social media. Now, yes or no, is the use of social media a sin? No, like there's nothing inherently bad about social media. But what I noticed in my own heart is I was posting on social media in an effort for people to see how spiritual, how smart, how intelligent I am, how intelligent Tyler is. And so my use of social media was feeding my pride. Although social media is not bad, the way I was using it was a hindrance to my faith. It was not drawing me closer to Jesus. It was pushing me away from him. Maybe a hindrance for you is your use of, let's just say Netflix. Is Netflix sinful in and of itself? Yes or no? No. Like there's nothing inherently sinful about Netflix. But if you spend like four hours, five hours, eight hours binge watching your favorite TV show, and then I ask you, so when was the last time you actually spent time in the Bible? And you tell me, here's the thing, Tyler, I am way too busy. I'm like, but you just spent three, four hours binge-watching your favorite show on Netflix. It's not sinful, but it's a hindrance. It's, it's hindering your walk with Christ. Maybe for others, a hindrance you need to throw off is, let's just say, alcohol. Alcohol in and of itself is not sinful. Now, getting drunk is sinful, but alcohol in and of itself is not sinful. But maybe a pattern that you've noticed in your life is when you begin to feel overwhelmed, Maybe after a long day at work, rather than running to God with your stress, you have a few glasses of wine to take the edge off. Doesn't seem like a big deal, yet if you're honest with yourself, is that drawing you closer to Christ or away from him? And so the writer says, look at those who have gone before you, who have suffered for the faith. While you're looking at them, throw off everything that hinders you. You see, if I could take you back to the Olympics, the original Olympics, this is what the writer is referring to. That if you were a runner in these Olympics, what would happen is you would discipline your body. You would get off every ounce of body fat, every extra weight of your body. And when you would run the race, often they would run the race nearly naked so that nothing could pull them back so that nothing could hinder them in their race so in the same way that they practice that discipline friends we need to be honest with ourselves what is hindering you right now in your walk with Jesus is a relationship like what is it and the writer says you need to throw that off the second thing he calls us to throw off and you see it in the text is the sin that so easily entangles us friends many of us if I dare say all of us have sin that we coddle We have secret sin that we do not confess to other people. We do not bring it out into the light. John Owen, I believe it was him, said this. Either we need to be killing sin, or sin will be killing us. He uses the picture that when you're running this race called the Christianity, when you're running this race called faith, as you run it, sin will entangle you and cause you to collapse, and you could even disqualify yourself by injuring yourself. Now, this Maybe surprises you, but when I was in high school, I played football. Um, I'm not a fan of watching football, but I love to play football. So I played football, and it was the beginning of the season, and I managed to injure myself so badly that I was disqualified from practicing for a few weeks, from playing in a few games, and I did not even injure myself at football. This is what happened, which is ridiculous. Each morning to get to football, um, I lived in Pipestone, I would get on my bike, and I would drive to the school. Now, from my house to the main road that would go to the school, it was all downhill. And so what I would do as a teenager is I would get my bike out, I would stand up on it, you know, so you can pedal faster, and I would go as fast as I possibly can down this hill. And one of these times when I was doing this, I was near the bottom of the hill, still standing up, and my chain fell off. Now, if you've ever had your chain fall off on a bike when you're going that fast, what happens is my leg went down really hard. The handlebars came up, hit me in the chin. I kind of rolled and tumbled with my bike. I messed myself up to the point that I had to get a tetanus shot because the bike essentially stabbed me. Like, I, I was pretty hurt from that fall. I wasn't wearing a helmet. wasn't wearing anything. And I had to show up to, to football practice and tell my coach, here's the thing, um, apparently I can't ride a bicycle and now I can't participate in practice. That's kind of a weird picture, but that's the way many of us live the Christian life. We think that if we just keep our sin a secret, it can come with us. Those things that promise pleasure, but in the end it brings death. Friends, we cannot coddle or protect our sin. We need to bring it out into the light and starve it if we don't. You'll end up just like me on that bicycle. When you're going really fast, but you will entangle yourself in your sin. You will collapse. You will injure yourself. And you may even disqualify yourself from this race that we call Christianity. From this race that we call faith. What hinders you that you need to throw off? What sin do you need to throw off? So in light of these witnesses, he's going to give us another command. Look at. Let's go back to the verse. He says, and let us, what is that? Let us walk? No. Let us crawl? Nope. What does it say? Let us run. Let us run with perseverance. I want you to circle that word perseverance. The race marked out for us. Friends, I want you to notice that God has a race marked out for your life. That when it comes to our faith, God has given each of us an individual race, an individual course that you and I are to run. So I want you to understand for a moment, your job that you hate, that maybe you don't want anything to do with your job anymore, God has you in that job for this season as part of your race. It is designed by his hand. Your marriage that maybe you complain to your friends about, about your spouse and how worthless they are. Maybe you're even considering divorce right now. I want you to hear this. Your marriage is part of the race God has given you. Your family is part of the race God has given you. The community you live in, the home you live in, the workplace you go to, every aspect of your life is designed by God. It comes from his sovereign hand, and that's the race he has given you. God has marked out a race for every single one of us. Each race may be different, but what I can promise you is each race is difficult. Each race is not easy, and God has given you your specific race. So in the midst of your discouragement, remember this is what God has given you to run. But notice that he calls us to run with perseverance. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Know what I mean by that? If you run a sprint, you run differently than you run a marathon. If you run a sprint, you run as hard and as fast as you possibly can. And I've seen so many people, they become Christians and they're excited about the faith. But what happens is they treat Christianity like a sprint. They don't take any breaks. They do not rest. And in a year, two years, they burned themselves out. They grew up quickly, but it was only a matter of time until the things of this world withered them. Friends, the Christian life is a marathon. We need to pace ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of exercising. Um, I recently got a boxing bag, which makes exercising a lot more fun. But before I got a boxing bag and got to punch it, I used to go running. And so on a pretty regular basis, I would go running and I would go jogging. And here's what I know about running. It's not fun. At least I don't find it fun. People say that you get like this runner's high and it's a blast. No, I go running and you look like you're hating it because your face is all messed up while you run and you are exhausted. You're sweaty. It's not fun. My legs hurt when I'm done. And what I know is every single one of us, if we go running, we will get exhausted. For some, maybe it's like after a half a mile, you're exhausted. For others, maybe you can go 10 miles, but there will come a time if you go for a run where you will be so tired that you feel like you cannot continue, where you're huffing and puffing, where you need water, and you just cannot keep on going. And that's the same in the Christian walk, and that's where I was at this past fall. I was at a place where I told God, like, I don't know how I can continue this race. I don't know how I can continue this track, and maybe that's where you're at right now. And so if you have your notes, I want you to write this down. This is the the whole idea of my message. We're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking what this looks like. But here's the main point. I can defeat discouragement by fixing my eyes on Jesus. Do you get that? I can defeat discouragement by fixing my eyes on Jesus, not by fixing my eyes on myself or on my circumstances or on my family. No, I can only defeat discouragement by fixing my eyes on Jesus. How many guys have ever heard the statement WWJD? What would Jesus do? They used to make these bracelets, maybe you have one that say WWJD, and the whole idea behind it is when you're being tempted or something's happening in your life, you look down at your bracelet and you wonder to yourself, WWJD, what would Jesus do? That's a bad question to ask. When we ask the question, what would Jesus do, it encourages us to perform, it encourages us to try to work really, really hard in order to earn God's favor. A better question for us to ask as Christians is not what would Jesus do? But what has Jesus done? And that's where we'll find our encouragement. Let me show you where I'm getting this so you know I'm not making up. Let's look back at the Bible. Let's read verses 2 and 3. He says, let's run with perseverance The race marked out for us. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus. Look what he says about Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, if you were running a race, when you're running the race, if you take your eyes off of the goal, if you take your eyes off of the prize, what will happen is you'll begin to drift to the right, or you'll begin to drift to the left. What will happen is you will drift off course. So in this race that we call Christianity, we do not just set our eyes on Jesus every once in a while. No, to be successful, to not become weary, to not lose heart, what we need to do is fix our eyes, fix our attention on Jesus as we run this race. And notice the writer of Hebrews gives us three things, three things that we're called to consider about Jesus. So if you have your notes, I want you to write this down. The first thing is this, that he calls us to consider. Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What the heck does that mean? Well, what it means is when you are discouraged, when you are weary, when you feel like you're about to lose heart, remember first that Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. That means that he went before us. That means that our salvation, my salvation and my faith is not up to me, but it's up to Jesus. Now, I know we use this language because it makes sense from a human standpoint. we, We tell people, make a decision for Jesus. Make a decision for him to be Lord. The truth is, friends, we don't make a decision for God. God makes a decision for us. We don't first love God. No, God first loves us. Some describe salvation like this. Imagine you're in a boat, and you fall out of this boat, and it's in the rough water, a rough ocean, and Jesus throws you a rope. And your faith grabs onto the rope and Jesus pulls you back onto the boat. That's a bad picture of salvation. A better picture of salvation is this. You are on the bottom of the ocean dead. Your flesh is rotting off of your body. You are a corpse. You have no life in yourself. Jesus jumps off the boat, swims to the bottom of the ocean, picks you up, brings you back to the boat, and breathes life into you. In other words, salvation is all a work of God. We were dead in our sins, but in Christ we are made alive. We were dead, but in Jesus we have been transformed to life. We were enemies of God, but now we are children of God. Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. Your salvation and my salvation isn't based on my decision. It's based on the perfect work of Jesus. So not only is he the pioneer, but he is the perfecter. He who began the good work in you will bring it to completion, is how elsewhere the scriptures say it. Consider for a moment that on your worst day, I mean that day when you recommit that same sin you feel most guilty about, the thing that you promised God, I I would not do it again, and it was only a matter of time until you fell back into it. On your absolute worst day, in the midst of your sin against God, when you are tempted to lose heart, to think that you will never get this figured out, What God wants you to hear today, it's not up to you to finish the race well. It's up to Jesus. What that means is if we fix our eyes on Jesus, even when we're running this race and the sin entangles us and we collapse, Jesus picks us up and he runs the rest of the race with us. He is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And if you're wrestling with discouragement or you're wrestling with weariness, let that encourage you. The second thing that the writer of Hebrews wants us to consider about Jesus is number two. Jesus endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross. Look how he says it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Consider for a moment that God loves you so much that he became a man. We mentioned last week what the gospel is. We went through each component of the gospel. That is a message you and I need to preach to ourselves. Like on a daily basis, we need to wake up in the morning and think, what is the gospel? And how does it speak into my life? Friends, Jesus endured the cross so we don't have to. What I mean by that is often we become weary because of our sin. We feel like giving up because we feel like we screwed up too badly. But what the Apostle Paul said is that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You see, friends, Jesus lived a life we could not live. Every single time he was tempted, he said no to sin and yes to God. He lived a life we could not live but died to death. I deserve to die and you deserve to die. Jesus was mocked, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was crucified completely naked to humiliate him. We are the ones who deserve to die that death, and yet Jesus died so we don't have to. Jesus drank the full cup of God's wrath that we deserve. If it was up to us, we would be in hell tonight. That's what we deserve And yet Jesus paid the price for our sin, past, present, and future. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And as propaganda said in that that video last week, that shows that the check cleared. Your sin is paid in full. So when you begin to beat yourself up, get down on yourself, discouragement, remember Jesus endured the cross. Your faith, your salvation is not up to you. It's up to Jesus on the cross. And from the cross, he cried out, it is finished and he actually meant it. We don't add to it. We rest in that quit performing. Rest in the truth that Jesus endured the cross. And then the third thing the writer of Hebrews wants us to consider is this. And it seems odd at first. Jesus is sitting down. All right, look look at what he says. Um, scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We serve a God. We serve Jesus who right now is sitting down. That shows that his work for our salvation is finished. He's not up in heaven like wringing his hands about us. No, it's already done. He is sitting down. Now, Jesus does have a job he performs while he's sitting down. He prays for me. He prays for you by name. Now, when I was beginning to feel burnt out in the fall, one of the most powerful things that happened is I was meeting with one of my mentors and explaining to him what was going on in my life, and he laid his hand on me and prayed for me. And through that, God really spoke to my heart. Consider for a moment that the God man himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, prays for you by name, prays for me by name. That when you begin to beat yourself up, when you begin to lose heart, the God of the universe is praying for you, and his prayers will be answered. So if you are feeling disillusioned today or overwhelmed today, know this truth, that Jesus himself is praying for you, that your faith might not fail. He's praying for you that through this message, rather than being distracted by everything else, he's praying that you are listening because he's speaking to you right now, that he loves you. He's praying for you. He wants to encourage you. The key to overcoming discouragement is fixing my eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, the one who is sitting down praying for us, the one who endured the cross. So when we look at that, what we have to ask the question is, so what? So what? Well, this past fall, what I noticed is I was not looking to Jesus. I was looking to myself myself. I was looking to my family situation. I was looking to the amount of hours I was working. I had this victim mentality when it was all about me, where at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. As soon as your eyes drift from Jesus, you will begin to sink. Think about Peter. Jesus called Peter to step out of the boat, and and Peter was walking on water, right? But it says he saw the wind and the waves, and he began to sink. I began to see the wind and the waves, and I began to sink. But praise God, because Jesus reached down and pulled me back out. And praise God, because today he can reach down and pull you back out. So how do we fix our eyes on Jesus? That's really churchy language, like do we get like a picture of Jesus on our, on our wall at home? And like every day, do we just stare at this picture for an hour and hope if we stare at it, we won't be discouraged? Like how do you and I fix our eyes on an invisible God? How do you and I fix our eyes on Jesus? Well, the answer is so simple that it's incredibly challenging. The answer is we fix our eyes on Jesus by reading the Bible. By immersing ourselves in this book that we call the scriptures. This is the primary way that God speaks to us. To show you that I'm not making this up, I'm not going to go there, but you can write this down. It's Luke 24, if I remember right. In Luke 24, what happens is Jesus has died, he's risen from the dead, but he has not appeared to all the disciples. And so there's two disciples walking away from Jerusalem, walking away from the thing that God called them to stay at, walking away from God's plan for their life, and they're walking away and they're complaining to one another. They, they're depressed. They want nothing to do with other people. And G, Jesus shows up, but he hides who he is from them. And he asks them a question. Why are you so sad? Why are you so depressed? And these two disciples explain to Jesus that Jesus, whom they were trying to follow, they watched him get brutally beaten and murdered by the Roman government. Remember, Jesus hasn't shown who he is yet, but It says that beginning with the beginning of the Bible, Jesus walked them through the Bible, showing them all the things that testified about who Jesus is. They talked about how Jesus is the greater David, how Jesus is the greater Moses, how Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And eventually Jesus shows them who he is. They realize they're talking to Jesus, and then Jesus disappears. And these two disciples say to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures? Friends, my prayer is that your heart would burn within you when you open the scriptures. We fix our eyes on Jesus by spending time in the word of God and letting Jesus open our eyes to the scriptures. So I have one challenge for you. You can't leave here and think to yourself, I don't know what that message was about. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to make it really practical. My challenge for you is I want you to find 15 to 30 minutes every day. Now, you might think, Tyler, you don't understand how busy I am. You don't understand how many things I have going on. You need to make 15 to 30 minutes every single day for a week. From now until Saturday is my challenge just for you to try it. Maybe you need to go to work 30 minutes earlier Maybe you need to wake up 30 minutes early. Maybe you need to get in your car and go somewhere. Maybe you're a mom with a bunch of kids and you stay at home and you need to like go to the bathroom and tell your kids to leave you alone for like 15 minutes and spend time doing this. What I want you to do each day is go to the Gospel of John. It's in the beginning of the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want you to spend those 15 to 30 minutes just reading. And before you open the Bible and read, what I want you to ask is ask God, Help me fix my eyes on Jesus. Help me fix my eyes on Jesus. God will answer that prayer. And it won't happen right away, but slowly and surely, as you're sinking down into the water, feeling overwhelmed by life, he will reach out his hand. He will grab you. He will pull you back up. But as soon as you set your eyes on the wind and the waves, you will begin to sink again. The key to overcoming discouragement is fixing my eyes on on Jesus, resting in the finished work of the cross. Let's pray and just ask God to apply this message to our hearts. Father, we are so broken. We are so weary. Lord, you see the struggles that are represented in this room. You see the struggles that are represented in each one of our campuses. You see the hearts of those watching online, and we just plead with you right now, Father, that life is too much for us. We heard that you won't give us more than we can handle, but we know that's a lie. You do give us more than we can handle so that we rely on you and not on ourselves. We believe that you are the God who can give life to the dead. So, Father, would you give life to our faith when it feels like it's dying? Help us remember that you are the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Help us remember that you endured the cross. Help us remember that you are sitting down. Help us fix our eyes on you and not on ourselves. Father, I pray for anyone in the sound of my voice who does not yet know you. Would you just overwhelm them with your love, with your mercy, with your grace? And for the Christians in the sound of my voice, wrestling with weariness and being burnt out, let this message be a turning point where they experience your grace and your rest that you promise us. It's in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the crucified and yet risen King that we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Rescue Church Past Messages. To hear our messages live, head to one of our physical campuses or check out our iCampus at therescuechurch.tv every Sunday at 10 a.m.